0: and our worship time through giving as well on your way out. If you have brought a gift this morning to give to the Lord in worship, there are drop boxes there as you exit the sanctuary where you can drop your gift as well. Also, if you are a guest and you received the bulletin and inside the bulletin there was a little card for information, and if you filled that out or you would like to, you can also drop that in the drop box as you exit. It will allow us to have a record of your visit And we will not put you on an endless mailing list or anything like that. You can even indicate on there if you want us to contact you or not. But if you would like us to have a record of your visit, you can drop that in the uh, offering box as you are exiting. I would invite you to take your copy of our Lord's Word and turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. And we're going to be looking in verse number 5 through 14. Verse number 5 through 14 today as we continue in this short series together as we talk about no drama amongst the people of God. We spoke last week about how the world is ridden with drama. It seems like there's drama on every page, on every channel, on every experience, in every family, in every church. There's always drama And there is a solution for the drama, and last week we looked at it, and it's one name, and it's Jesus. And how we are to apply that is found in Matthew 18. So last week we talked about entrance into the kingdom of God, and it helps really mitigate and eliminate drama amongst the people of God is when we realize we come to God as children, meaning we are totally dependent upon Him. This is about none of us. This is all about Jesus. So we shouldn't be looking to our left and our right and seeing who's the tallest amongst us. It does not matter, speaking spiritually, because it's all about Jesus. An entrance into the kingdom comes by having a heart that is fully dependent on Him like a child. So we're going to look in Matthew 18, verses 5 through 14 this morning as we talk about the heart of of God, Let's read together, and of course we're picking up where we left off last week, talking about having a heart as a child. Verse 5, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. This is Jesus talking, by the way. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin... Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes, and be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels see the face, always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I love that verse. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep? And one of them has gone astray. Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord this morning. So speaking about this this morning, here is our main statement. The heart of God is so soft towards sinners. The heart of God is so soft towards sinners. I remember exactly where I was the first time I heard that song that Aaron just led us in called Reckless Love. I was on a youth retreat. It was while we were in search of a youth pastor here. And I listen to Christian radio some. I don't listen to the radio much. I typically listen to something called Spotify, where I kind of have the songs I like, and I just listen to them over and over again. Is anybody else that way? I knew it. But um, anyway, it's one of those things that I know what I like. So sometimes it takes me a while to be exposed to something new. And when I went to this youth camp with our students a few years ago, that song, Reckless Love, was played. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I knew it was talking about Matthew 18. I knew it was talking about the parable of the one sheep going astray in the 99. I was just, wow, what a beautiful message. And I was talking to a friend of mine, and they, I was saying, hey, have you heard this song, Reckless Love? I said, I, I really liked it. And he said, "Why?" Well, I, I don't. I said, oh, well, why don't you like it? He said, I don't like it. Because it uses the word reckless and it makes God sound messy I said well okay I understand that but I th- I guess the way I understand it is not that God is messy but we are and he is willing to come after us and that's what we see here in this text that a God that is willing to dip into the sinful world of humankind and come after and seek and save that which was lost So in talking about the heart of God this morning, there's several things we need to look at. First, God loves and receives his little ones, especially the insignificant and disenfranchised. God loves and receives his little ones, especially the insignificant and disenfranchised. Look in verse number five together. Whoever receives such one such child in my name receives me. Remember, this is from last week. Jesus took the child and set, called the child to him and set him on his lap and said, listen, unless you come like a child, um, the kingdom of heaven is not going to be yours. You have to come to me in this way. But he is not saying only children come to God. He is saying your heart must be like a child. So... People who are much smarter than me, Bible scholars, say that when Jesus is referring to little ones and children for the rest of this passage, he is not just talking about children under the age of 12. He is talking about those who have come to him. And this is a frequent thing that happens not only in the writings of the Gospels, but even in the letters from the apostles, that we will see this whole idea of referring to the followers of Jesus, even the adult followers of Jesus, as children. So when you read children and little ones, think those who are following him. For instance, little one refers to anyone who comes to Jesus. Remember, Jesus illustrated this with a child. Little ones, however, refers to more than just children. It refers to all disciples. So, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So what is this scripture telling us? Is that God loves receiving his little ones. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, I receive all those that come to me. And if you also receive them, notice what it says. You receive me. God loves and receives his little ones, especially the insignificant and the disenfranchised. God loves receiving his little ones. Listen to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he rises to show you compassion for the Lord is a just God. Blessed are all who wait for him. Another verse that I know you're familiar with, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wanting or wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God loves receiving his little ones, which leads me to the next thing, is the evidence that we have been received by God is our reception other people, and most specifically of other children of God. The great evidence that we truly belong to God is that we receive who he receives. The main point here is God loves and receives his little ones, especially the insignificant and the disenfranchised. Why is this important? Well, Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five. Uh, we were there for a long time a few weeks ago, uh, but in John thirteen thirty five, this is what the text says: By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, the one another refers to the little ones, those who are putting their hope and faith and trust in jesus that's who the one another's are i'm a one another you're a one another and the evidence that we truly belong to jesus is not just that we love god but that we love each other this is what jesus said the whole world's going to know that you belong to me because of your love for one another certainly there are other obligations that we have as christians but this is what jesus says this is how the world is going to know not what you believe not what you stand for those things are important but to whom you belong because of your love for one another. Listen to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. Some more of John here in his letter. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Let me read that again. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Both John and Jesus are saying it. Don't be deceived. If you do not have a compulsion inside of you to love the brothers and sisters, you just don't know God. Because God is love. That's what later in John chapter 4 says, God is love, and if you know him, you will love as he loves. This is why Jesus says, going back to verse 5 in Matthew 18, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So let's think about it. How drama starts amongst the people of God. If last week, the way we mitigate and eliminate drama amongst the people of God is to first remember that we're all dependent upon God. It's not dependent on any one of us. We're all dependent on Him for our place in the kingdom. So therefore, it doesn't matter how tall or short we are spiritually because we are all dependent upon Him. It's about Him and not us, ultimately. So... That's important. The next thing is this, is acknowledging that it is about Him and not us, and we are fully dependent upon Him, is that we give evidence of this by our love for one another. Jesus is giving His disciples instructions on how to eliminate the drama. Listen, if you receive one of these little ones as I have received them, He says it this way, you are receiving Me even though I'm not there. I want you to imagine, if I I told you Jesus is coming to your house today, or let's even do one better. What if we knew that next Sunday, Jesus in person was going to come and worship here at First Baptist Church? How do you think it would be different? Well, the truth and reality is he's here with us every week. But I'm talking about in the flesh. We had a genuine Christophany, white robe, blue sash, everything. We knew it was him, right? Jesus shows up. How do you think it would change our behavior? Well, we've been, oh my goodness, there's, there's Jesus right there. Uh, maybe we should give him a bulletin. Like, let's, let's shake his hand. We want to make sure, if anybody's going to be welcome, we got to make sure that Jesus is welcome, right? And you know what, Brother Randy... I have heard that Jesus is going to be in the, in the services next week. So, I mean, we've got to have, the music just has to be perfect. And then there would be pressure on me. Like, talk about pressure, preaching to Jesus. Like, that can't go well, all right? So, but anyway, we would roll out the red carpet because Jesus is here. You know what Jesus says to his disciples? Every time you do that to anyone of mine, you've done it to me me oh how that changes the dynamic amongst the people of god when we realize that by loving and caring for each other we're actually loving and caring for jesus oh man that's special so god loves and receives his little ones especially the insignificant and the disenfranchised remember we're talking about the heart of god and it's soft towards sinners Number two, the next thing that we need to look at in this text, and I found this fascinating studying this this week. The next thing is this, is God hates all sin. God hates all sin. That should be no surprise to anyone. But there is one category more serious than all the others. We've talked about this before, but it's been a while. But God hates all sin, but there's one category more serious than all the others. Now, you say, listen, well, all sin is the same. It's really not. All sin, is not the, all sin is bad, but not all sin is all the same. Like, there's no way you can persuade me that telling a white lie is the same thing as shooting somebody. All right? They're clearly different. But all sins are bad. All sins are serious in the sense that they separate us from God. But they don't all bring with them the same kind of consequence or judgment. And the most serious sin in the book is the rejection of Jesus. And it's interesting that the word that is used here, I'm going to read, look back in verse number six. Um, actually, let's just start in verse five again as we work through this. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones, who are the little ones? Are they kids? No. These are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Is that anybody's life verse? Mercy. Verse number seven, woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. Woe to the one by whom temptation comes. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet be thrown into the eternal fire and if your eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away it's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown in the hell of fire now of course jesus is using hyperbole here to make a point we're not going to have a foot cutting off service next week all right he is using hyperbole to make a point but you use hyperbole to indicate the seriousness of which you are talking the subject of what you are talking about. So God hates all sin, but there's one category more serious than all the others. I want you to look at something. The word for sin used in Matthew 18, and we're looking at it in English, is not the normal word used for sin in the New Testament. It's just one of those things. Some of you, like for instance, in my copy, I'm using a ESV Bible here this morning, and I have a little... If you look down in verse number six, when you come after the first word "sin," there's a little notation there, and it says, "Hey, there's another way to translate this word." There's, there's something. Anytime you see those in the text, it's always helpful to look at that because it's going to tell you something that's that's going on there. So the word used for sin in each instance here in Matthew 18 is not the normal word used for sin in the New Testament. The normal word is hamartia, the Greek word for sin. It's used 270 times in the New Testament. It is the go-to word describing failure, wrong sinful action, or just wrong. Missing the mark, all that. This word is not used here in Matthew 18. A totally different word is used. So whatever is being described here as sin... At least because it's a different word, we should slow down and say, is Jesus saying something a little different? Because when we're looking at this in English, we see the word sin here, and we also see the word sin over here, and we just think, oh, the same thing is meant, but not always. That's why these notations are here. The word used here, and you see it there on the screen, this is the next one, is scandalon. This is the Greek word for block, hinder, offend, cause to stumble it is used 44 times in the new testament frequently in the gospel of matthew and it is the word used in matthew 18. so when you see the word sin here it's not talking about the normal word for sin this is a different word which refers to block stumble offend cause to stumble now, I was reading several commentaries this week. It says it is likely, in fact, most likely, Jesus is referring here to a particular kind of sin that would lead someone to reject Christ. So here, here's what he is saying. Now, see if this makes sense. Because, you know, when I read this and it's like, woe to you, for woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it's necessary that temptations come. When I read that, but woe to the one by whom temptations come. Or if you back up and you read this one in verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Like, if that is referring to any and all sins, yo, (laughs) I'm not going to make it. You aren't either. Like, you just think just this week how... Frequently, your foolishness has caused your family to sin. Now, they may not have been big sins. Or you say, well, I've had a good week. Well, maybe it's been a good Stretch it out to six months, okay? Think about how many, how many times that you and your anger, your temper, your impatience, your habits, whatever it is, think of it how often that your sin has caused someone else to sin. And Jesus here is saying, hey, listen, if you cause somebody else to sin, it's better for you to be thrown in the ocean and have a millstone strapped around your neck. Meaning, what awaits you in the judgment, it would be better for you to just die. That's scary. So is it that maybe, can we make better sense of this if he is talking about a certain kind of sin here? And the word is used differently. Which, in- interestingly, this is the same word that's used in Matthew five twenty nine through 30 when he talks about lust. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you want to write that in your margin, where he says when he's talking about lust, hey, it's better that you pluck your eye out, better that you cut your hand off, it causes you to sin. It's the exact same word. Why, why is he doing this? What is he talking about? Well, Jesus is describing a sin Which causes a little one to take offense and walk away from him. So let's stitch this together with what we've already learned. Let me say this one more thing. Remember, last week we talked about Jesus' anger toward the disciples for standing in the way of children. Listen to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. These people are coming to Jesus, and what do the disciples do? They push them away. But when Jesus saw this, he told them to stop. No, that's not what it says. He was indignant towards him. Friends, you ain't been buked until you've been buked by Jesus, all right? He was indignant towards these disciples and said, "What are you doing? Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it." And he took them in his arms and blessed him, laying his hands on them. So let's see if we can put this together. Let's go back to verse number 5 in Matthew 18. And we're trying to understand What kind of sin he is talking about here. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. What is Jesus saying? He is saying, okay, when you come to me, the evidence that you belong to me is you welcome all others who have come to me. Well, what is the opposite of welcoming? It would be pushing away and he switches the conversation to talk about this kind of sin, causing another person to stumble or to take offense. What Jesus is saying is if these people, these little ones are coming to me and you don't embrace them, you don't love them. You don't care about them. You push them away. You only look inward. You never look outward. He says, listen, you're pushing people away from the only hope that can save them, and that's me. And he's saying, if that's your heart, it's better for you to have a millstone strapped around your neck. You see, the last time Matthew used this word is found in the end of the previous chapter, in Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. In Matthew 17, 24 through 27, it's the same word that's used, and we can see it here how it's used, and we'll understand what Jesus is talking about. Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two dragma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to, here's our word, give a free." It's the same word used for sin in the verse, chapter 18. Not to cause them to stumble or take offense. So, however, not to give offense to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Fascinating. This is the exact same word that's used for sin in Matthew 18, indicating it means to cause offense. So what is Jesus saying? The implications of this are amazing, or at least in my mind. Maybe this is not fascinating to you, but it's fascinating to me as I was reading this week in the study. Jesus is saying this. This serious sin is the sin that causes someone else to be offended by Jesus because of what we do. For instance, imagine what would have happened had Jesus and his disciples not paid the tax to those two men who came to collect the temple tax. Now, Jesus has already indicated, listen, there's a new thing happening. We don't you're not obligated to pay the temple tax because that comes from something else, and there is a new thing happening, your son's of the kingdom. He acknowledges to them that the temple tax is not what it's all about, but then he tells them something. And he teaches his disciples something that is fascinating. Even though you shouldn't really feel obligated to do that, Jesus is saying that to his disciples about temple tax, it's more important that we don't offend them, because if we don't pay the tax. Here's what people will say, man, that Jesus is a crook and his followers are a crook. I don't care how much good he has done. I saw him when no one else was around and he's a crook. I want to have nothing to do with him. Jesus, to prevent that from happening, says we cannot let them take offense in this way because of our choices. We cannot exercise our freedom in such a way that we don't care about what other people think about us because we, it's important that we guard and protect the name of Christ. So, looking back in Matthew 18, verses 6 down through verses 9, when it talks about this sin does it begin to make more sense when you read it? Verse six, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to, let me fill it in for you, take offense to Jesus and walk away. Oh, now we realize that's a very serious thing. It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations. To reject Jesus and walk away. For it's necessary that temptations come and woe by the one whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or foot, it's talking about you personally. If your hand or foot causes you to reject Christ, that's why he goes immediately to eternal judgment. no. Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. He's not talking about white lying. He's not talking about inappropriate behavior. He's talking about the taking of offense to Christ and walking away from Him. This is the most serious offense in the book. This is why He's using such intense language. And if your eye causes you to Reject Christ and walk away from Him. Tear it out and throw it away, for it's better to you to enter life with one eye uh, than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Now we understand the analogy. Is it better for you and me? Is it better for you and me to throw away one eye and receive Christ than keep two eyes and reject Christ? Well, yeah, that makes sense. It's not talking about any sin in the book. It's talking about the most serious sin that you and I can commit. Which leads me to the next thing. And if misunderstood, you're going to accuse me of being antinomian. And if you don't know what that means, it just means a heretic. So, don't misunderstand me, because I'm not an antinomian, nor am I a heretic, at least to my knowledge. All sins are bad, but they are all small potatoes compared to the most serious sin in the book rejection of Jesus or pushing others into rejection so hear me carefully i'm not saying don't worry about it any other sin it's just it's just small potatoes no big deal you do whatever you want that's not what i'm saying all sin is bad and one sin is enough to separate you from god for forever so all sin is bad i'm not saying don't worry about your sin i'm saying we need to acknowledge that there is a difference between sin and the most serious sin in the book. Mark chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. I love this passage. And if you've ever come to me and told me about something you felt guilty about, you've heard me read this passage to you. Because I read this passage to myself a good bit. Mark three twenty-eight through 30. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Now, we're going to read the rest of the passage, but somebody needs to park right there right now because in a room of this size, I know somebody walked in feeling guilty today for what you did or have done, be it 50 years ago or five years ago or five years Months ago, five weeks ago, five hours ago, somebody is feeling guilty right now. I'm going to read it one more time. And let the truth of the word of God. This is Jesus talking. We walk around so guilty. Truly, I say to you, all, all, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, all of them, period, every single one. But, ooh, okay, there's a kicker. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And then he clarifies what it is. Because in this passage in Mark 3, the Pharisees were accusing Jesus and his saving power as being the work of the devil for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Let's make sense of this. Jesus says, listen, all sins, all sins are going to be forgiven and can be forgiven if you come to Christ. Every single one, every single one of the Ten Commandments, every one you've broken, every law of God you've broken, every not just misdeed, but even every improper uh, motive inside your heart, every single one, they're going to be forgiven in Christ. But there is one that will not be forgiven in this life or the next, and that is the rejection of Jesus. If you miss Jesus and you reject him by rejecting the voice of the Holy Spirit and you do not accept and receive Jesus for who he is, then there is no forgiveness because forgiveness only comes through Jesus. So now can we make sense of what is being said in Matthew 18 when Jesus is talking about lopping off hands and plucking out eyes he is talking about something that when the people of God are so careless and so inward focused that we don't care about the insignificant, we don't care about those on the fringes, we don't care about who's coming to Jesus, that if we push these people away and they leave Jesus, Jesus says that's a really big deal. This is why he scolds the disciples so harshly for sending the children away because to come to jesus is to be totally dependent on him and then to have a life changed and transformed by jesus is to have the heart that he has which is a heart of open arms which is ready to receive all those who will come to him which leads to the final thing god's heart is not one of rejection but welcome. Not of counting losses, but organizing rescues. And his heart cares. It's a heart that cares about each one. It's amazing to me that after Jesus talks about all of this hardcore language about what it means to receive others and not push them away, the story he tells is the story about the one sheep that left the ninety-nine notice what it says see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search the one that went astray and when he finds it truly I say to you he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones. We're back there. We've made full circle. One of these little ones. He doesn't want a single person who comes to him to ever be driven away. And he's willing to leave the 99 safe on the hillside to go after the one. So when you read Matthew 18 and say, wow, that's really harsh. Jesus is in sin. Well, sin is bad, but it's talking about the worst sin that you can do. And that's to push someone or yourself away from the saving power of Christ and then to show us what kind of heart the Father has, He tells the story because this is how Jesus feels about His followers. He's willing to leave 99 safe on the hillside to go after one. Now, some of you don't feel that way about God. I know I don't sometimes. Maybe it's the way I came up in the world, something like that. And I'm grateful for my heritage and stuff like that. But you know, sometimes we're all broken in some way or another. And we don't feel that way about God. We don't necessarily sense that God truly is seeking after us. That God is on the rescue mission. And if we wander, He's wanting to bring us back to the fold. Frankly... As Southerners, sometimes we don't imagine God coming after us to rescue us. We can hear mom and daddy or Grandma and daddy chasing us with a hickory stick through the yard. Like they're coming to get us for what we've done. And we don't know God that way because that's just not the way we've been brought up in the world. But God is not Southern culture. God is heaven's culture. And God, his heart is to come after you. And if you know it you'll know it. There was a lady, she walked to work each week. It was one of those, it was a big city, and she didn't have to commute, didn't take a car, and every time she would walk to work, she had to go past this pet store, and uh, as she was walking there outside the pet store, because the, you know how storefront owners in downtown situations, they put the merchandise outside to, you know, try to sell a little more. Well, she was walking by, and there was this birdcage. There was a parrot in there. She walked right past it and all of a sudden she heard a voice behind her and said, hey lady, you ugly. She turned around. That bird say that to me, looked at the bird, the bird went. She walked on. Next day, walking to work, she comes by, she sees the bird. The bird's watching her, and as soon as she takes her eyes off the bird, she goes past, the bird's standing there and says, Hey, lady, you're ugly. She turned around, the bird went. Third day, comes along, same deal. Walks past, hey, lady, you're ugly. She said, listen, I'm not going to have this anymore. She goes into the pet store and says, Listen, you don't understand how much money I have spent on therapy. And to go on to the psychologist to have a good self-image about myself. And this bird of yours is messing up my whole world. He tells me every morning when I walk by that I'm ugly. And I'm telling you I can't handle it unless you fix your bird. I'm going to sue you and I will own this pet store. So the pet store brought the owner brought the bird in and said, Hey, listen, you can't be offending customers like that. That's not how we have business. We don't do that. And you keep this up, we're going to have parrots too. Do you understand? And the bird said, yeah, I, I got it. Okay. So next day, she's walking past the pet store. Sees the bird. The bird's looking at her. She's looking at the bird. She walks past, and then the bird says, "Hey, lady!" And she turns around and looks at him. And the bird said, "You know." <laughs> <laughs> i said that quietly i said you know if you couldn't hear me say it but anyway you're saying wait a second what did she know did she really know what was in that parrot's heart friends let me tell you something some of you are persuaded that what's in god's heart is a big paddle and he is after you and i'm telling you read the new testament god is after you on a rescue mission and his heart to prove that was jesus when he came I'm telling you, he loves you. And he wants us to love each other, not chase each other down and beat each other up, but to love and embrace and encourage and build each other up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this time of worship together that we've had. Lord, I pray that the deep truth of your soft heart towards sinners, which includes us, and your love for little ones, which includes us, would sink deep into our hearts. Because Lord, the ones that realize that they are loved so very much are the ones who can actually love the people around them. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.